This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Of course, always powered by theracetalk.com and fantastic coverage on theracetalk.com of this year's Bathurst 12 hours. Speaking of the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hour, we'll be having a chat to Richard Crowell and Mark Walker from theracetalk.com very shortly and talking about what a massive weekend it was up there on the mountain. We'll also cover off on the Supercars launch this week in Sydney and have a chat about that as well. All that to come right here on The Grid. Right, joining us on the line now, we say a very good day to Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowley. Hello, Shebexter. How are you? Mate, fantastic. Mark Walker also from theracetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Hello, Tony. Uh, TV's Richard Crowell. Congratulations <laughs> on another fantastic Bathurst 12 hour. I'm glad I was sitting at home watching it. Uh, you did a great job there. And congratulations to on your new job as an ambassador for New South Wales Tourism. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, you know, Destination New South Wales, great partners of the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hour, and we do what we can to um, to support those that support that great event in the Central West region, which yeah, is was... home to many fantastic wineries and uh, tourism. Yeah, I know. Options. I was going to say the wineries <laughs> in New South Wales. Come on, Rich, lift your game, bud. <laughs> I know. There's look. I'm not going to lie to you. There's some conflict living where I do in the beautiful Barossa Valley of South Australia. Uh, but um, yeah, look, it's uh, it's all good. We loved it. But no, great weekend. What a what an amazing weekend. I'm I mean, I'm interested to know, and we, maybe we can touch on this as the show goes on, what it was like from the couch because from the racetrack, it was the biggest 12 hour ever. It was just an extraordinary weekend, Shebex. But it looked big in every regard, Crowley. It looked big from the amount of action that was happening on the track. It looked really big crowd-wise. It was a fantastic crowd there. And it also looked really big in regards to the interaction with the world through socials. There were so many hits on so many different things. And I think the Kangaroos played their part in that, didn't they? Yeah, well, there were so many hits, and that's before you get to the social media traffic. Um, Just a little joke there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, look, Skippy certainly played a role, and uh, I, I think the count's somewhere above five million across all the various platforms it's been shared in terms of views, and it could be larger. Um, Mercedes AMG Formula One shared it on their Twitter account on Monday night, and it went completely bonkers then, and um, it's just continued on. But but that's what Bathurst does, and it you know it, it's a bit like the Big Bash a couple of years ago with Stephen the Seagull and. Um, watermelon boy, who you're very close to, yeah. Shebex. It's things like that that you need to capitalise on and and maximise. And, and fortunately, the digital team at at Supercars Media, who drive the the online content over the weekend, do a, and a magnificent job with that and capitalise on every little clip that we can push out. So it wasn't just that; it was it was all the race highlights. It was the shootout lap. It was was everything over the weekend that that built towards Sunday being large, but. Crowd was up um, on a, a three-day crowd perspective. Remember, the event was four days last year, but it was up a couple of thousand on the previous um, three-day record, despite utterly scorching temperatures 
and then whatever on earth it was, the apocalypse that happened on Sunday. Um, digital numbers were great. TV ratings up quite considerably, and it was the number one show on Fox on both Saturday and Sunday, and it was the number one show on multi-channel, so seven mate on Saturday, and it peaked at well over half a million people total audience uh, on Sunday afternoon as the race built to its conclusion. So TV numbers strong, attendance strong, manufacturer input strong. Um, the irony is of all the major brands there that didn't actually have a major presence at the track, it was Bentley, the ones that won the race in the end. But um, I'd suggest that will change in the future. Rich, I've got to say the bit that I enjoyed as a punter, and I'm not completely brown-nosing you here, was the the bits with yourself and Chad down in the bunker in the Pirelli bunker there. I would mm. just to break it down because it it's such a big race. There's so many contenders out there with a genuine shot. Being able to break down those stints and what was coming up for the different cars, uh, I think that was awesome because I, I find it hard to concentrate for 12 hours at home on the couch. Mm. You sort of drift in and out a little bit. But when yeah. you're able to break it down in that manner, that really, uh, for me, that that helped a lot. Yeah, we, we put a huge amount of effort into that, Chad and I. And we actually had a direct line to each other from the commentary box to Chad in the bunker um, where we sort of just talked about strategy off air and then decided what we were going to talk about on it, which worked really well. And, and it was something we introduced 12 months ago that worked and we, we took it to another level this year. And the, the Wizards doing the graphics on that are just phenomenal. Mm. And all that was going in live as the race built and they're programming this as the race goes on. So th- those guys deserve deserve an enormous amount of credit. And and Chad built a lot of that off notes and, and following the race while trying to be a pit lane reporter as well. So enormous credit to him for that effort. But I, I thought it worked well. And you would have noticed that it, at about midday, we did a full reset. We 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 play the intro again. We started from scratch, reintroduced everything, went through the strategies where they were. And it was like basically having two races or breaking it in halves. And I think that just made it a bit better to follow. And then the further into the race, the more we worked on strategy to try and explain it simply and get it to a point where we were going to go, right, well, car seven's got to do this to stop here. Car 912 is running a lot later, so they're rolling the dice a bit. And, and I'm I'm very proud of the way that we managed to explain the race in a way that you could keep up to date with it if you weren't following it um, devoutly, weren't following it for 12 hours on the couch. But if you were following it for 12 hours on the couch, which many people do, you could also build the story as the day goes on and get a grasp on it. So, no, I was, I was wrapped with how that played out. And it was a compelling motor race to follow from a strategic point of view, because there was so much going on and so much green flag running made it made it a very, very cool race to follow. Yeah, definitely so much uh, green flag running, but the safety cars early on sort of played a little bit of a part, didn't they, in regards to uh, how teams really had to change strategy throughout the day? Yeah, and a couple of guys got nobbled by. Triple uh, Eight were caught out pretty early by, by an early safety car, and that certainly didn't help their cause they were leading the race early on and, and they pitted under green, blew a lot of time and a safety car came out soon after. And it's one of those nightmare scenarios in a race like that that sometimes you just have to deal with. But um, And then there were a bunch of teams at the end that could have used a late safety car, whether it was for weather or a, a shunt or whatever it might have been, that didn't get one, which we all thought we'd get, that, that hero 40 minutes to go or 20 minutes to go Bathurst safety car. Um, but that's the nature of the race. And and I'm, I'm still amazed that we reset the distance record and that we got to the end without it raining. It was just remarkable. 
Yeah, for mine, that rain at the end, it was definitely going to rain. There was no yep. way that it was not going to rain. And I think that was just as exciting as anything, was waiting for it to happen and yeah. then have the big tear up at the end. But uh, I think it was good for the race that it didn't happen because I don't think any of those finishes at the front there deserved something to go wrong. But mm. we still had that edge of the seat waiting for it to happen. I, I can't tell you, boys, the atmosphere at the circuit while that was going on. So we had a dust storm. For starters, the wind was gusting at 50 to 60 k's an hour. And even Neil Crompton, who's the acknowledged weatherman and a commercial pilot and gets all the latest info from um, the airplane people when it comes to weather stuff, um, even he was like, I've never seen it do this before. It split the circuit. And and we had a thunderstorm 270 degrees around the racetrack, but not actually on the racetrack. And I got a message from Tony Dalberto with about two hours to go, and he was like, it is absolutely torrential in Kelso, and Kelso is <laughs> ten minutes from the circuit. Yeah. It, it is the eastern Bathurst suburbs, um, and it was torrentially raining there, and we had not a drop. So just one of those utterly crazy Bathurst weather days. But the atmosphere there—it was the temperature was dropping and it was rising. Um, the wind was blowing. There was thunder and lightning all around the place. It was, it was very very cool. But I agree with you completely. If it had rained with 10 minutes to go, it would have been a disaster. If it had rained with half an hour ago, it probably would have been all right because everyone could have got to pit lane, throwing wets on, and we still would have had a race. But 10 minutes to go, man, it, it would have been utter bedlam, and I'm not sure how that thing would have played out. So I think in the end, we probably got the right result, and and it it dropped hard the moment the checkered flag came out, which I thought was great. And then we had a, an hour's worth of – Solid rain, which meant that when I got back to the uh, car park, my car was clean. No dust, which was utterly terrific. So um, it was a win for everybody. Talk to us about this Bentley uh, Team M Sport car, the Bentley Continental. Beautiful looking car. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't expected to be one of the, the major contenders, I would have thought, Krause, but uh, definitely was there pretty much most of the day and then uh, had a very convincing victory at the end. Well, actually, Shebex, I, I fully backed them all the time because – Ever since they came there with a Generation 1 Conti GT3, and this is the, the Mark II version, they've been fast. Mm. And the, the car, it's a big car. It's a very stable platform because it's quite heavy for a GT3 car. So across the top of the mountain, it doesn't have that twitchiness that the Audis have got, for example. Um, it's got good aero, but it's not overly draggy, so it's quite quick in a straight line. And, and it's got a million torques. So it drags itself up the hill because it's a big twin turbo four liter V8. Mm. So it drags itself up the hill as quick as anything. And it comes down it very quickly as well. So for a Bathurst package, you couldn't design a better GT3 car, I don't think. But they've just made in the past, they've made errors. Um, little one percenters have cost them Bathurst victory in the past. 12 months ago, I'm convinced they would have won that race last year, but um, they put the kill switch right next to the pit limiter off switch on the steering wheel. So twice in the race, driver leaving pit lane, turn the car off instead of turning the pit limiter off. And it cost them an enormous amount of time. Um, 2015, their first year, they got hip and shouldered off the podium by Stefan Mooker in an Aston Martin in the last corner of the race. They lost the podium, finished fourth. They were third twice. Um, so they've, they've always been in the mix. I, I, you know, you don't have favourites in this game, but I, I couldn't be happier for that team. And and to put some significance into this, Bentley's motorsport history is a hundred years long. Mm. Um, their last major race victory was Le Mans in two thousand and three. 
And they've won nothing major since then. They won a race at Paul Ricard last year in the Block Pan Series, but that's it. So for a brand, this was a massive, massive, significant victory. And for M Sport, who are World Rally Champions, they've won the Manufacturers Championship for Ford, the World Rally Championship with a host of great drivers. This is probably one of the biggest wins that team as an entity has ever had. So hugely significant for brand, for team, and finally, from an event point of view, and, and Mark can relate to this dealing in the commercial world in the sport, Bentley are going to trade on this for 12 months. Bentley wins Bathurst will still be being pumped out by that team in 12 months' time, which is great for the event because it will just market itself thanks to their efforts because they won for 12 months. So from from an event PR and, and marketing point of view, it's an amazing result for us as well. Rich, as good as Bentley was, the hard knot in the race talks, hot knot or what, had to go to Audi. They were just yeah. they had an absolute Barry Crocker. They were nowhere on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know what they've got to do, Mark. Uh, Troy Russell's team in Melbourne, they're, they're a great race team. They are a properly good race team. They're stacked with talent. Eric Pender behind the scenes, like guru engineers, um, and like Garth Tander, who's awesome, eight factory Audi drivers who are all awesome. But one thing after another, bad luck. Like the crash that took Garth Tander out, what are the odds that when Freddie Vavish had his moment in front, had the big, no, it was Dries Vanthor, sorry, who had mm-hmm. the big slide, what are the odds that it'd be the team car trying to get up the inside and get caught up in it? But that just sums up their weekend. Yeah, couldn't believe it. I, I feel terrible for the team because they put so much energy into it. The cars look great. Phenomenal engineering and driver lineup and um, every component for success, but you can have all those in place and Bathurst sometimes will will uh, deny you regardless. So, yeah, that was a, a massive, massive shock that they weren't more competitive more often and that they, by hour six, they were basically out of contention and we only got a bit of a cameo at the end from Kelvin Vanderlinder going crazy trying to set fastest laps at the end of the race, which um, which he did in the end, but it ultimately meant very little. Hey, and by the way, congratulations on that VW Sirocco Cup uh, mention with regards well, to Kelvin. Uh, Kelvin was great. Well, it had to happen, and and for those mm-hmm. un, unaware, Kelvin Vanderlinder started. Yeah, <laughs> Kelvin Vanderlinder started in the VW Sirocco Cup, um, which potentially, thanks to petitioning from. Uh, Yours truly, and especially Mark Walker, was the last ever race broadcast on Speed TV before it died in Australia <laughs> and became Fox Sports 506. So we influenced television programming um, with a pretty comical one-make series out of Germany that no longer exists. But there you go. Great little bit of history there. Thanks, Harold. No doubt. Hey, uh, podiums at Bathurst are always uh, satisfying, I would say. And for the guys at Triple Eight. I'm sure that that uh, podium on Sunday was fantastic for them, for Shane Van Gisbergen, Jamie Winkup, and the rest of the Triple Eight team. Yeah, Maxi Goetz, the, the German driver there, he, he was awesome as well. And he got lumped with a pretty dodgy stint on really old tyres and double stinted towards the end, but managed to hold the car on the racetrack when others were firing it off. Yep, good podium for them. They, they lucked into it a little bit because the group of M car got disqualified or got pinged um, for a pit lane infringement. And, and that's another story because that team's happened, that's happened twice to that team in two years that they've made little errors that have really cost them a chance at, at victory. But it was a solid performance um, for Triple Eight and, and they're, they're a better GT team now than they were 12 months ago. And, and I'm sure they'll continue to build that 
program with another season locked in in, um, in GT World Challenge Asia. So strong performance. And uh, the McLaren, to finish second, that was a huge performance. So I don't think many people predicted that going into it, but the car was fast. It was reliable, great drivers, um, and and was a contender throughout the day and, and really rose to the occasion. So I, I really enjoyed that. And I loved Ben Barnico grabbing the race lead on lap six or seven, I think it was, early in the morning. And just stuck it down the inside at the chase and that sort of set the tone for what was going to be a, a brutally fast motor race, which it turned out to be. And, and then you look at Porsche on the other way. Sorry there, Shebex. No, you, that, you know, Porsche, uh, the, the number one car with their brake problems, didn't mm. see that coming. And uh, and obviously the drama's too for Matty Campbell in uh, his car as well. So, I mean, that more strong Porsches there that, you know, potentially should have been there in the mix at the finish, just uh, weren't there or thereabouts. Yeah, it was a strange one, wasn't it? And and the course of the race, they just didn't quite have the raw speed to challenge. And last year it was good strategy and they, they stayed in the game throughout the day and, and the new tie call at the end of the race obviously put Matt in the right place and the safety car was at the right time. Um, he he lifted at the end and, and got car 911 somewhere in contention for a podium again. So I, I think um, it was a really solid performance. They just didn't have the raw... Uh, outright race pace that the number seven Bentley, the triple eight, the triple nine, the 60 McLaren and one or two others had. So they were sort of fifth or sixth all day. Um, an absolute racing rolled the dice with nine twelve. They were out of sequence. They were going to go very long. If it had rained with 30 minutes to go, car nine twelve would have won the race because they would have stopped, put wets on and, and wouldn't have had to burn another pit stop. But, and they were, they were gambling on that. They were fueled longer so they could do that. But that, that's the nature of the place. But, yeah, it was another stout performance from Porsche, well represented, won the Pro-Am class with um, Grove Racing, which was a terrific that's effort. And that. we should acknowledge that because they've won the class five times now at uh, at the 12-hour, Class B four times, and Pro-Am 10th outright, really solid performance. So well done to the little team from Melbourne that um, always punch above their weight. Speaking of uh, Pro-Ams in Porsches, uh, Sam Shahin, she was a big hit for cool. him. Yeah, yeah, that was that was huge, and and I think the theme of the weekend, boys, is that these cars did their job, didn't they? They they stood up to the destruction. Um, they may be road based cars, and it may mean that when they get tweaked, they don't get fixed because they they crumple like a road car, whereas a race car, a lot of the bits are bolt on, bolt off. But man, they protected their drivers well yeah. from the Aston crash at the top of the mountain, um, and even that impact from Sam. Huge, um, and and, and um, young Tyler Everingham in the Mark yes. Cars yeah. car actually spoke to Ryan earlier today as we record this, um, and he said, "Look, the car is absolutely toast; it'll never race again." But it did its job in the first and the second impact. So it hit Sam, who was stationary after that crash, and then it smoked the wall at high warp speed and almost launched itself over it at Skyline. Um, but even in the secondary impact, the Mark car did its job. So Ryan was, while well, not happy about losing a car, was pleased that the car's safety features protected its driver. And the same can be said for Sam. Um, he was flown back to Adelaide uh, straight after pretty much that incident, was back in Adelaide early Sunday morning receiving care. Um, and and he's he's got a few things that they'll work on, um, a few, few tweaks, I think, in that accident. It was a massive hit. But um, otherwise, I'm pretty certain he's going to be okay. So, not great, but um, but we're just thankful that the safety systems did their job. Boys, I'm going to throw it this. Wild. It was wild there, Shebex. I mean, oh, 
it was it was so hot. I mean, is that what we're putting this down to? All that craziness on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, it, it's there were so many different variables, and it was interesting. The, the internationals were asked about that on the broadcast on Saturday, and they all said, "Oh, yeah, it's it's temperature, and the track's very slippery, and the the level's very high." But uh, there was a really interesting comment from David Reynolds, who said they're chasing a lap time that's not there. That you know they were here twelve months ago doing high twos, but a, a high two just wasn't on the cards on Saturday, even slightly. So I, I think there might have been a there might have been a bit of chasing a number that wasn't going to happen because the track was so slick and the temperatures were so high. Extraordinary day. I've never seen or experienced anything like it. And just your heart's in your mouth the whole time because you're hoping these people are going to come out the other side, which fortunately they all did. But uh, like that Marvin Kirchhoff are crashing the Aston. Have mm. you ever seen anything like that? No. Uh, just completely mental. And then and then I'll make Canto, backs this thing into the tyre barriers, then the thing lands up on the wall <laughs> Oh, just that—that's never happened in my mind. I mean, Bill Brown destroyed a Falcon there in the '60s, but that barrel rolled 50 times. Um, this was a parallel park Lamborghini, six feet up in the air. Um, just truly a remarkable day. That um, yeah, that'll stay with me for a while. Fortunately, it was capped off by a really, really good top ten shootout, which we loved. So, yeah, it was a funny old day at the office. Kyle, here's the bloke that runs the PR for the event. Do you still scratch your head as to? And while we talk about massive numbers on TV and the like, it still hasn't really seemed to have caught the imagination of mainstream paper media. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying, and it's it's bloody hard work. Um, but then it's pretty hard work getting a supercar story into the Daily Telegraph these days. Um, and if you do, it's 10 pages in behind the NRL, yeah. the AFL, the cricket, and often the A-League. Um so yeah, in that respect, it, it probably doesn't have the doesn't have the reach. But what it lacks for in domestic coverage, it makes up for internationally. And and I would argue, from a domestic point of view, the international coverage of this race, from a domestic event point of view, the international coverage is right up there mm. with the biggest ones. Grand Prix obviously is enormous. MotoGP is enormous. But after that, like I I would suggest that that 12 hour would be in the mix based on the international reporting on it and, and digital numbers and things like that. So, um, you know, strengths and weaknesses, it, it's never going to be like October, Shebex. It's just, it, it's a niche race. It's a 12 hour race. It's going to be very, very hard to sell one way or another because it, it does play to a motorsport niche and it doesn't have 60 years of history like October does. Yes. Um, and like, like supercars do and, and, and everything behind it. But, um, I, I think it, given the the budget the event's got and the resource behind it, I, I actually think it does okay. Uh, I'm not trying to sound like I'm defending it, but um, yeah, it, it's a growing thing. But but on that, every year it's bigger. So this year compared to last year, there's more PR. You compared to two years ago, it's probably double, and it just keeps building like that. So it, it's going to grow and it's going to keep keep building. And you know the, the TV ratings are a really positive sign this year that more people are starting to pay attention. But, Rich, you know, you look, it was up against the cricket finals, the tennis finals, mm. but that international coverage that you talk about, even just that skippy bit, it went to NBC yep. Sports in the States. Yeah. It yeah. Uh, W2F1 ran it. Like, everyone was on board with it. So yep. the streaming numbers overseas, I saw some of the uh, those come through, and a lot of people were watching overseas the race live. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, yep. I don't think there's anything really to worry about. 
Yeah, yeah. No, look, it, it's 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 a niche event, but it it, it fills its niche very very well, um, and it holds its own. I and uh, up against other domestic motorsport events, and 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 it's it's definitely one of the biggest GT races in the world for GT three cars. I, I would stack our our numbers up against the Spa twenty four and Nurburgring, and I reckon. If we don't beat them, we'd be within five or ten percent, and those are events that have got fifty or sixty years of history and and everything behind it. So um, I, I think I think where this event is at, given it's it's technically only a ten year old race because it it had a full reboot in twenty eleven when it went GT. Um, I, I reckon it does pretty well. Speaking of supercars mixing in with uh, this event, some of the supercar drivers. Did extremely well. One in particular, Anton Di Pasquale, who uh, drove pretty well in that AMG GT3. Uh, is he going to find himself at Triple Eight sooner rather than later? Based on that, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. It would have been cool if that car had made the race. Unfortunately, written off in that crash we talked about earlier. But Anton was very, very quick. Oh, look, Shebex, every, everyone jumped to a pretty long bow when it was announced that he'd be in that car. But um, remember, that was a customer car run by Triple Eight for Sam and Yasser Shahin. Um, so there was there were deals done by those guys to get the drivers in the car, and Triple Eight were preparing it, running the strategy, and and running the car on the weekend. So I, I think there was a lot read into Anton driving a Triple Eight car when it was Anton driving a, a the Bender Motorsport Park car that just happened to be run by Triple Eight. Um, but is he going to be in a gun car and supercars? Absolutely. It could be this year. He's in an Erebus car and they could be really good with, with the full reset we've got again with the aero changes and with the damper changes across the board. Who's to say that Erebus couldn't come out and smoke everybody? So, yeah, oh, no doubt, mate. The, the, he's a massive talent. We all know that. and we, we spoke at length to him and about him in on the show last year and I think I don't think there's anyone on the race talk that doesn't rate Anton as a talent moving forward. He actually did very and well you know because what? he was at. Uh, sorry. Yeah, and you know what, Tony? It, it's um, going to be between Triple Eight and Team Penske. I mean, yeah. I think they're both going to yeah. want to pace him. Yeah, that's fair call. I was going to say, he actually did pretty well. He was at the uh, baseball semi final down here in Melbourne on the Thursday night and then must have uh, flew direct into Bathurst on the, uh, the Friday morning to be a part of it. Really? Yes. Jerry. Oh, race car driver life. Like it. Yes, exactly. Hey, uh, once again, Crosby, congratulations on the 12 out of you and uh, all the team that gets behind it and puts it together. It was a fantastic production, as, uh, as Mark said, and we look forward to uh, next year's iteration of the whole thing. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's an amazing race, uh, and I'm, I'm massively parochial to it because I've been involved for a long time, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very proud of where that race has grown to um, in the last couple of years, especially. And pro- probably my favourite thing is that everyone thought that when Supercars bought it, they were buying it to kill it. But actually, it's now an absolute core part of Supercars business and a huge part of what they're doing from an events por- part, um, portfolio point of view. So um, I love the irony in that. I'm just, it's such a cool vibe over the weekend and and Mark's been there and experienced that that international factor you know the, the campgrounds are full but I, I reckon there's probably 25 percent that do both the 1000 and the 12 hour it's a completely different audience and I think that's great because mm. it means more people are watching motor racing and there's the less crossover that's actually a good thing because 
um, it, it's a different audience and it's bringing a different vibe to the sport. When more people watching the sport, as we often say, is better. It doesn't really matter what it is. If it brings people in, then fantastic. And this brings a whole new audience to Bathurst, to GT cars, to to great race car drivers and to um, and to unknown race car drivers that are fantastic. So all of those things make it very, very cool. But in the end, it just, it's just another epic Bathurst Enduro and you just, I find it very difficult to go wrong at that joint. Now, don't go anywhere, boys, because I want to spend a couple of minutes just quickly looking at uh, the world of supercars. Of course, they had their launch earlier this week. Uh, no great surprises out of that. It was good to see a, a, a red Coke car out there in the, uh, in the field, though. Go, Mark. This is all yours. Oh, thank you. Jeez, oh, right. Cool. Um, <laughs> interesting that there hasn't been any additional announcement or comment <laughs> or comment from Coca-Cola about the deal. Wouldn't you think if you wheeled out a race car with Coca-Cola down the side of it, you'd have someone from Coke mention something? So are we taking mm. into it that it might not be an actual deal as such? Mm, well, who knows? No one, no one knows. Well, my my new my my info is that it's a deal, um, but and it certainly it certainly made waves, didn't it? Um, and from a sport point of view, it doesn't matter to me whether they're putting in fifty grand or five hundred. It matters to the team, I'm sure. Um, but to have uh, to have a major brand like that not only returning to the sport, but investing in the sport. It's not an oil company. It's not a petrol station. Um, it's it's not a seller of wheels or car parts. It's, it's a retail brand. So from an outsider's point of view, whether it's 50 grand or 500, having a Coke car in the field is great for the series from a visibility point of view and from a, look, major brands are still involved in this thing. Um, now, the business case behind the scenes, no one will know. They might not even know what it is. I don't know. But um, from a pure visibility point of view, it's terrific. I was a bit surprised that budget didn't extend to a car cover um, while they were trucking it to the, the launch down there in Circular Quay. But um, maybe that was part of the plan because it did go slightly viral in the morning. So, anyway, it was interesting. I was surprised that the budget didn't extend to a shirt for James Courtney. No, he was in a – I think he was in a Team Sydney shirt. It wasn't an overtly bright standard race car team shirt. But um, I think he – and I saw photos of Webb, Johnny, uh, John O'Webb there as well, and he, he had a, a Team Sydney shirt on as well. But it's been a strange rollout, there's no doubt, to, to this program, and it's going to be one of the more interesting stories of the season, I would suggest. Yep, uh, there's no doubt about that. We'll follow that with interest over the next uh, couple of weeks as we head into – the Clipsal 500. It's not the Clipsal anymore. The Adelaide 500, isn't it? My God. About hub, uh, Talk about old habits. Talk about branding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Anything else come out of the uh, the launch, boys, that we should touch off on? Oh, I thought it was – I mean, it, it ticked the boxes, didn't it? They, yeah. they did what they needed to do. Good photo up in front of the icons um, to get things rolling. Oh, the, the money stuff is going to happen at the bend on the Tuesday before – the 500, um, and and what job the teams do between now and then in releasing liveries and, and making a big song and dance about that. And and hopefully, you know, in the past, they've all been competing with themselves and you get two or three in the same day and then nothing for three days. Hopefully there's a bit more coordination, there's a bit of planning 
and um, they roll these things out one a day for the next two weeks and we get a really solid build-up into the Adelaide 500, which is going to be another massive start to the season. Check out the Throwback Thursday gallery, which is now live on theracetalk.com. This week it is 2006, the season launch that the championship had back then. It was up here in Brisbane. Uh, All the cars, all the drivers, everyone was there for the public to see. So it was was very... Interesting to see how things have changed in the last 15 odd years uh, from, you know, that just that photo opportunity in front of a bridge to uh, back then when they wheeled out all the cars before the season. But, um, yep, times are changing, aren't they? Mm. They certainly are. We should also mention, too, I just saw a story on Speed Cafe in regards to the uh, Kelly Racing getting rid of their Group 2 uh, Nissan Ultimas. Oh, sorry, their Super 2 Nissan Ultimas, which uh, is probably not a bad idea for that team. Now they can just fully focus on the job at hand, and that is to try and win a championship with their new Mustangs. Yeah, like I, I, I'm not entirely surprised that it all became a bit much, and, and that's got to be that's got to be part of it because this development of the Mustangs has been enormous. Mm. Um, so hopefully they can go to a new home where the Matty White buys them or another team gets them. And Matty's proved that those cars are very good in Super 2 competition. Um, for the last couple of years, they've, they've arguably been the benchmark. So um, hopefully they find a home. I, I'm not I'm not shocked that they're not doing a no. Super 2 program. I've got to say, though, I reckon KR have done a really solid job in the way they've rolled out this Mustang content. Um, their YouTube videos are great. You can see Todd engaging with it more and more, each one they do. Clearly up his wheelhouse, it's exactly what he likes to do. Um, and, you know, they, they deal with auto action for regular stories and features about the build of them. So I think they've done a really, really good job. Um, Super 2, you know, for a while there, it was looking pretty tragic this season, but there's been a few announcements lately and the field's looking pretty strong. So I don't think they're going to miss two or three Nissan Ultimas from Kelly Racing in the grid. And who knows, they may may pop up there anyway. You know, what? the the shame for me is that uh, they already had to let go some staff after the end of last season and, and now mm. ditching this program, they're going to have to let go of some more. And they had a lot of very good people there, you know, really big staff to look after uh, the, the four main game cars they had last year and their TCR efforts. So uh, it's a bit of a shame for them. I mean, that's always going to be the problem because – one of the biggest expenses in supercars is the staffing. And it's all yep. good and well to say, oh, you know, we need cheap formula. We'll we'll get these cars that maintenance-free and are easy to run. But then you'd gut the industry by sacking everyone. So, yeah. you know, when these uh, downsizing things happen, it's uh, it's always a shame for those people in the background that you never hear about. Yeah, it certainly is. Boys, we'll leave it at that for the moment because the next couple of weeks heading into the Adelaide 500 – is going to be some uh, pretty in-depth discussion from all of us in regards to what's happening in the world of supercars. So really look forward to that. Congratulations again, Crowley, to you and the team. A great job on the weekend. Mark, congratulations to you for just being you. I didn't fall off the couch this time, so well, that's that was a, good a start. great bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and congratulations didn't to you, our it. listener, for listening in. Yeah, definitely, and we will reveal our uh, secret Adelaide 500 beer location in our preview show for the Adelaide 500, as we do. Uh, Come and have a drink with us uh, at the race tour. We started that at the Gold Coast last year with great success, Um, 100% hit rate. The one person that listened came and turned up for a beer, which was terrific. So (laughs) we'll we'll roll on with that, Um, and we've got some more exciting announcements to come as well, I think, for – the show moving forward yeah. and uh, what we're doing on TRT. So 
exciting times. Uh, I'm going to go and find a rock and crawl under it for about a week, and uh, then we'll start looking at uh, supercars for the year. Just try and be awake by either Saturday or Sunday afternoon because I'm coming out to Adelaide for the weekend for a bit of baseball, so I might find some time oh, to pop up and say hi. Super. Oh, well, welcome you to the Brossa Valley. Absolutely. Actually, can we just say one final thing on the Bathurst 12-hour? Um Friend of the show, Dirk Kleinsmith. Uh, can we can we can we just agree that uh, he is the absolute star of the weekend, getting absolutely poleaxed by the uh, Supercars TV crew filming a pit stop there? Just Was that the just not star. one of the great moments? Not just of the weekend. He is just the absolute star. Yeah, it, it's that's the moment of the year from the media industry, and it happened before round one of the Supercars Championship. Can we? Make- I think that was. Um, that was amazing. Can we make an executive decision now as two members of the uh, Media Association Awards that we we pen a or we, we form a new award that has to be won by Dirk this year? And I'm not sure what we're going to name it, but... Well, the, the, well, it, the rugby no, tackle won, of the uh, year award. Play no, of the no, year no, or just something. the uh, like action photo of the year, him hitting the ground. I mean, that, <laughs> that's it. Oh, it was it was uh, funny. It was great live television, that. I, um, I enjoyed it. I thought anyway, your commentary would have made it. <laughs> It very much helped. Hey, all right, guys. We'll catch you next week. Look forward to it. Uh, enjoy the week in sport. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Richard Crowell and Mark Walker joining us here on the grid. We'll be back again with another episode next week right here on mypodcasthouse.com.